Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. So yeah, my name's Josh. I've been with BWC for a little while. All that time's been within special investigations, so our fraud department. My real job is digital forensics, so we handle computer evidence, cell phones, anything electronic that comes in for part of our criminal investigations. But the other thing that I handle is our drone program. So we've had a drone program at BWC for coming up on, uh, well, a little over two and a half years. So we've been at it for a little while. Uh, and what we're doing there is actually has nothing to do with our criminal investigations, so, uh, that part of it. Our agents, I'm sure, would love to use them for surveillance or, or whatever, but, but we're not doing that. We have that other group that's the Safety Violations Investigation Unit. They go out and investigate, you know, catastrophic accidents. Fatalities is really what we use the drones mostly for. So, you know, they're similar, similar to OSHA. They're going out looking to see if there was any sort of safety code. Uh, that was missed that caused that accident. So what we're doing with the drones is, and, and I'll show you a little more in depth here later, but going out, taking pictures, creating 3D models of those accident scenes. Before we get started, anybody here using drones in, in your business? We got one. What are you guys doing? I don't really have to ask, I guess. <laughs> Law enforcement use. All right, we'll talk about that. Anybody have a, a, a use for your business, maybe you can see maybe using drones with what you guys are doing. Well, maybe we'll spur some ideas. <laughs> so when we talk about drones, I kind of boil it down to three main advantages to using the drones. Um, the one, you know, it's pretty pretty obvious one. You get a unique vantage point. And a vantage point uh, that you really couldn't get a few years ago. So, you know, you could go up in a helicopter or an airplane and, and take pictures, obviously, aerial photography that way. But that's obviously a little more expensive. And you couldn't really get into some of the complex areas that we need to get into. So an accident scene where you might need to hover close to a building or fly through you know, low altitude and that kind of thing. So, And then at the price point of some of the stuff, especially some of the stuff that we're using, we're not using anything crazy expensive. It's a pretty, uh, pretty amazing uh, thing that you can do now. The other one's safety. So our investigators, uh, they're not really allowed to climb at height, even for their investigations for the most part. You know, they're not, you know, trained to use ropes or anything like that. So a lot of the investigations that they did that, that happened at height, they're documenting that stuff, or they were documenting that stuff from the ground um, with a zoom camera. So that was kind of their best way of documenting it to uh, you know, keep them on the ground and keep them safe. Likewise, environment-wise, a few years ago we had a, there was a powder plant that exploded in Ohio. And uh, you know, a site like that, you really can't get into. They're not gonna let you in the building until engineers come and make sure it's safe. So with a drone, obviously, we can get images of stuff that's at height. We can also keep out of environments, like the powder plant explosion, but we could also fly that drone close enough to it to actually get some pictures and documentation. Maybe we could even fly into that building, but keeping our investigators outside of it. And then uh, efficiency. So time, and we'll talk about how different people are using the drones to save time. I mean, you can just do some of these jobs just a lot quicker. And then obviously, if we're, if we're saving time, we're saving money. 
This is pretty recent data from just a couple months ago I updated this. This is from the FAA and they're talking about this is just commercial drones registered with the FAA. So these are drones specifically for you know business, not, not the drones that you're you know, buying your kids for Christmas or anything like that. So, so end of 20 or, uh, 2019, they're looking at about 277,000 commercial drones out there in the US. And just a few short years later, they're now anticipate, anticipating over 800,000 commercial drones. So just to give you an idea, the earlier estimates I think it was 2022 instead of 2023, but it was 450 or somewhere around there, 1,000. So they've totally revised that. They're going to hit that probably sometime next year. So drones not really going anywhere anytime soon. It's not a fad. Businesses are looking any way they can kind of use this technology. So it's growing pretty rapidly. And when we look at drones, we can. Uh, there's other one, other types of drones, but these are the two main ones. Um, the one on the right, multi-rotor style drones. That's pretty much all that we use at BWC. And you know, for these reasons, you know, we're dealing with small project areas. You know, a lot of our cases are, you know, somebody fell off a roof or fell through a roof, those kinds of things where it's pretty localized. It's not like an airplane crash where it would be maybe miles and miles and stuff. We have that complex terrain, so like I said before, you know, flying close to buildings and into areas that uh, you know, maybe has electric lines and stuff like that. We have that ability to just hover in place and take pictures if we need to and, and not have to keep moving. And then vertical takeoff and landing, so we don't need a lot of space for these. It, you know, it's taking off, it's going straight up, and when I bring it back, it's coming straight down. So don't need a lot of area for takeoff. So the fixed wing side, you know, it's more efficient, so it's going to have longer life, longer battery life, right? So these style, the, the multi-rotors, they're totally inefficient, right? <laughs> all, the, all the energy is used to hold that thing up in the air. So it's not aerodynamic in any way. It's not helping it glide through the air. This one actually is obviously based on an airplane, so it can glide through the air. It'll you know, help preserve your battery a little bit. But we're talking larger project areas. If you think in terms of agriculture, corridor mapping, you know, like railroads and pipelines, that kind of thing, where they're doing miles and miles. So simpler terrain for the most part, because you have to keep moving, you know, it's an airplane like that. And then uh, you take off and landing is a little trickier. For most of those, you're just kind of tossing them out, take off, and then landing, you need a little bit of a runway. So just to give you a little idea of some of the technology that's out here, this is a, a zoom camera, 30 times zoom. We don't have this particular piece of equipment. ODOT, they have one of these uh, I've seen in action. It goes on actually, uh, if you can see the, the bigger drone up here, it goes on the next size up from that. This is a camera that a year ago was about $9,000, just a camera. You get that today for about 2,500 bucks. So just to give you an idea of how rapidly the technology is changing, which, you know, price is dropping. But this will give you an idea of the capabilities. So we're gonna zoom, it's gonna be zooming out. Totally worth 2,500 bucks, right? <laughs> so pretty amazing. So I was uh, flying with ODOT's pilot down in Mansfield, and uh, he was flying at 400 feet, which is the limit. 400 feet above the ground, and there was a gas station like a half mile away, and you could almost make out the license plates from that, that distance. So just to give you an idea. So pretty amazing technology. This is a thermal video uh, on the left you're gonna see is just a regular camera, just to give you an idea how dark it was. This is the thermal imagery. And this was taken with this drone here. So this has a thermal camera on it. 
This is something pretty new. I've only had it for a couple months. Also at the very top there, sticking up the top, is a spotlight. You'll see that as well. But this was just a sample video I did, and uh, I just told my son to go hide. <laughs> hide wherever. Let me see if I can find you, and we'll see if you can spot him here pretty quickly. Yeah, he's, he's not too hard to find. So I won like every round of hide and seek that night. It was pretty awesome. Uh, so you'll see here in a second, I'll, I'll turn the spotlight on just to give you an idea of how that works as well. So it's pretty bright. For such a little light, but it's two LED lights in there. But you can see him pretty clearly. <laughs> so not expensive technology. That drone is roughly around $3,000. But for him, search and rescue and some different things like that, fire. It's a, it's a good unit. It's, the thermal camera on it is uh, it's a lower grade, lower resolution camera, but it can get the job done. Here's another video. This is not my video. It's just one I found. Just to give you an idea, this is just a mock video. You can see through smoke with thermal. So you got the smoke up here, you really can't see anything. Down here you can see this guy dancing pretty poorly. So kind of an interesting technology. You can see the benefits potentially with you know fire departments and that kind of thing. And that's the exact same drone, that one right there. You can actually kind of see the shadow. <laughs> so how other people are using them. ODOT, as I said, uses drones. They, uh, ODOT actually has a, a position called remote pilot. That's a state of Ohio job title. So that's the only one I, I'm aware of with the state of Ohio. But they're using drones to do bridge inspections. So they're taking the drone. He goes out and takes pictures of the, of the bridge, then ships that back to the office to the bridge inspector, and they can you know, go through the, the imagery. They're creating models as well. that they can you know, look through and, and identify if there's something that needs a closer look at. You know, the other way that they do that, if you, if you uh, have ever seen that big truck they have that has the bucket, and they park it on top of the bridge, and then the bucket goes all the way down and underneath the bridge. So that's a pretty expensive piece of equipment and pretty expensive to maintain, from what I've been told. Drone is, you know, much, a much better way to do it. You don't have to have a guy in a bucket hanging below a bridge or even above, a, you know, on the road and looking up at the bridge because you're closing lanes of traffic at that point, probably. All those things introduce risk. So this is a much more less invasive way to do it. Tower inspection. So this is a windmill. On the left, you're going to see the manned version of how they do that. And then on the right, we have the drone version. I don't know if you've ever seen how they do this with this guy, but he's kind of crazy. He's just going to hang off the blade of that windmill, which, yeah, it's kind of... So there's probably some risk involved here, I'm guessing. I don't know. <laughs> And it's certainly expensive. It's expensive, I'm sure, to, uh, for the training to, uh, to know how to climb up there and use the ropes and all that stuff. There's definitely a cost to doing that. Drone over here is going to do it. It's going to be a repeatable mission. Um, it's going to, you're going to be able to do that totally automated. It's, uh, you know, obviously they're doing inspections of these windmills on a regular basis, not just a one-time thing. So when they come back and do it, they just go back to that same mission and... It goes up and takes all the pictures again. So same as what ODOT's doing. They're taking the imagery, they're sending it to somebody else in the, in the office, and they're taking a look at you know, anomalies or things that might need repaired. Same thing this guy's doing, except you know, he's just hanging off there. <laughs> so the benefit is the drone can do it like eight times faster. All right? Eight times faster and, and way less risk. 
confined space. So we have a specialized drone here that's got the cage. It has a thermal camera, has a light, you know, regular camera on it. And this one's used to, you know, go into ballasts or pipes or anything you might not want to send a worker down to expose them to, you know, falling down the ladder, just climbing down there like that. Um, radiation exposure, you know, whatever. You can send the drone down through here. You see it kind of bouncing around. You don't necessarily have to be a good pilot to do this one. So you can, you can get away with that. But it'd pop right back out there. Roof inspections. So pretty much every insurance carrier is using drones, or they're at least investigating using drones. And again, it all comes back. I mean, this is inspection work. Why are you going to send a, a claims adjuster up on the roof? That drone's going to do it way better than, than a claims adjuster on a roof could ever do it and obviously safer. So what this drone is going to do is basically fly over that roof and it's going to take a whole bunch of pictures of it. And they have software here that's going to stitch all those pictures together to complete, make a complete roof. It'll, I think this software kind of identifies things that it sees on the roof that might be an issue. You can take measurements of the roof, you know, square footage, that kind of thing. And it can do all that like really fast. This is a quick flight. I mean, you're talking like six minutes or less. Volume calculation, so this is more of a quarry type setting. And this is just showing, you know, same deal. This is kind of similar to what we do is, you know, fly over this site. We create a model, full 3D model. And then they're just going to, this is in the software here, they're just clicking around the tow line of that pile of material. And you literally hit compute, and it will tell you how much volume is there. All right? So it's, re it, it's really that quick. So the benefit here is, uh, from a safety view, is you don't have a guy standing out in this area where there's truck traffic or climbing on top of these piles of rock or whatever material that is to do that. And, uh, you know, he can, so you see like the, the traffic coming through here. He can stand all the way off to the side of this site and monitor the drone as it's flying over doing its thing. And again, you're talking, you know, maybe a 10, 15 minute flight at most for a site like this. And then he's going back to the office. And that's every bit as accurate as a guy out there with a, a wheel and climbing up on top of the piles. Precision ag, so uh, on the left, you're all gonna be watching this one, but on the left, <laughs> there, this is a, a, an image from an NDVI camera. And that's just a, a camera that's gonna capture how plants reflect infrared light, all right? So the red, Dark red is, is generally a more stressed plant. Green, obviously, is healthy. Yellow's, you know, somewhere in between. So this gives a farmer, obviously, a, an idea of if there's some issues with the crops there. Uh, it also could, could give them the ability to do prescribed spraying or variable spraying. So instead of just kind of blanket spraying at the same rate across this whole field, you know, they might spray heavier in the dark red and less so in the uh, more healthy areas. On the right, we have a nine-foot-long single-rotor drone. They've been using that in Japan for 20 years, right? So, so if you think of Japan, you know, it's a small island, not a lot of space. So they're putting crops in areas where it might not be super easy to get a tractor through. So they've been using a, a, a drone like this to do the spraying. Here in the U.S., you might see it more small crop stuff, like a vineyard, probably not. I'm from northwest Ohio, so... It's probably not super efficient for like a 500 acre field or something, but um, but you do see it. Uh, that unit I think costs uh, about $400,000, so it's not like you're just going to go out and get that on Amazon or anything. And then finally, public safety. So 
We'll start at the top left. Is a, this is a small drone. I mean, it's probably like that big, little drone. But they're using testing, using uh, for kind of active shooter stuff, just trying to clear rooms, I think. And, and this is just a mock setting here, but he's looking for the, uh, the bad guy here. At some point, he's going to find. I think he's, yeah, flying through this room. So the guy operating it can be outside the building. Um, they're just monitoring the video feed as it's coming back. And uh, there's your bad guy. So he gives up pretty quick. I don't know if, if uh, I don't know what they have strapped to that thing, if it's a cannon or what, but <laughs> he gave up. <laughs> the thing weighs like 200 grams. The bottom left, we have a uh, more of an overwatch situation. So this unit here is a, a tethering system. So it's basically uh, connected to the drone. You can fly it probably about, uh, I think 200 feet is probably about the max for those. And uh, it's just feeding constant power to it. So instead of having to you know, fly up and then every 25 minutes or so land and put new batteries in, you could fly that thing, you could leave that thing up there all day, all right, until the propellers fall off. But it, it'd be fine. But now you could use, uh, you know, this looks like a, maybe a marathon situation or something, some running event. So if you think in terms of having, you know, thermal camera capabilities or that zoom camera that we saw, you could really keep an eye on what's going on at that event. And just, you know, a quick, quick uh, way to put that up there. On the right, thermal, kind of saw that a little bit earlier, but you know, this one's uh, some teenagers, runaway teenagers, middle of the night, out in the woods. So rather than send deputies out here tromping through the woods in the middle, middle of the night, which obviously could, you know, that could be an injury uh, waiting to happen there. They sent the drone up, pretty easy to spot them, these little white hot dots here. Um, eventually, they get picked up at a road. So that's one way. Obviously, uh, there's different, you know, search and rescue ways they, they would use those as well. And then bottom right, we have more of a firefighting situation where, you know, you can identify hot spots in the, uh, in the fire here. You can keep track of, you know, where your people are. We showed the video already about seeing through smoke. So there's some definite capabilities from a fire perspective where you would use drones. So just a little bit about the FAA regulations. So part 107 is the rule that came out back in 2016 that basically enabled uh, the ability to, to, to use drones in a commercial setting. So prior to that, you pretty much had to have uh, your private pilot's license. Um, the hurdle was pretty high to get through that. But now, pretty much uh, as long as you're 16 and you, you got to take this aeronautical knowledge test, that's really the only hurdle here, is this test. And that test has things on it like uh, general UAS regulations, unmanned aircraft regulations, airspace, so understanding where you can fly, where you can't fly, where you might need you know, further authorization to fly, weather and how that affects the drone and you know, thresholds that you would want to look at or not fly maybe, loading and performance, so if you stick a different camera or something heavier on that drone, how will that affect your flight characteristics? And then uh, general you know, UAS operations, how you operate out in the field. So this, this test that you take is 60 questions. It's multiple choice. You have to get a 70 on it. So I think that's a D, right? 70? So <laughs> pass rate's about 92%. So it is a difficult test, especially if you don't have an aviation background. I don't have an aviation background. So I actually had to study. But 92% are passing, so certainly doable. But you know, this is like taking your driver's test and only having to do the written portion. 
No one's proving they actually know how to responsibly operate a drone by getting this, this certification, right? We can operate, but with some limitations, okay? So out of the box, we're flying only in Class G airspace. So we'll just think about that today in terms of not flying near large airports, okay? So stay away from that. And we're talking visual line of sight. So these drones over here, both of those, they could fly four miles away from where I'm standing and I can still control them fine. I can't see four miles away though, uh, especially that little one. When you get about 2,500 feet, about 3,000 feet away, it's like a little dot, right? So operationally, you're really staying within that, that range, even though they have that capability. 400 feet, we talked about that earlier. Uh, 400 feet's the, uh, the ceiling for drones. Uh, we're not flying above that uh, unless, you're, unless you're close to something that's uh, above 400 feet. So say you're doing an, ins an inspection of a cell phone tower that's maybe 500 feet. So then you could go 400 feet above that. Daylight operations only, although you can get a night uh, daylight waiver, so you could fly at night. 100 mile per hour speed limit, no issues there with these. And then uh, yielding the right of way to manned aircraft. So drones are like the low aircraft on the totem pole. So if a, if a helicopter comes into your airspace that you're flying, it's your job to get out of the way, right? And for me, when we're flying, that's typically what I'm most concerned about. Not so much airplanes, unless you're, you know, right close to an, uh, an airport or, you know, a small airport that might still be in Class G. But for the most part, they're flying above what our range is. Helicopters are coming in and out of your airspace, especially if you're in town. So um, if that's something that you're doing with a drone, you always want to know where all the helipads are, so, or heliports. No flights over people. So... I don't know if you've ever seen the drone, maybe it's just me that watches drone videos all day, but if you've ever seen the drone videos where the guy's flying this drone over like a concert or over the beach and all the people and stuff, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. If the drone falls out of the sky and hits somebody, you're probably going to be liable for that. We're not flying from a moving vehicle for the most part, that makes sense. And then we're talking about drones that weigh less than 55 pounds. So this bigger one over here, it's got dual batteries and, you know, pretty pretty decent sized camera. It's 12 pounds, right? So 55 pounds is a, it's a pretty decent sized drone. And uh, visual observer is, uh, it's recommended. It's not required by the FAA. We require it for our operations at BWC. And that's just another person there to uh, look for hazards. So, you know, they're trying to identify, you know, helicopters coming into your airspace, birds, electric lines, maybe you didn't see all these things, or, you know, somebody that wants to come up and talk to you while you're trying to fly the drone, <laughs> ask you questions about it. So all those things, they're there to kind of help lower the risk. So what's that look like? So this is a test site that we fly. And what we're doing for the most part is an automated flight. A lot of our flights are automated for these 3D models that we're building. So we set it up on the iPad. It's pretty much this simple. It really is this simple. You're going to, you know, it's going to pull up a Google satellite image of the area that you're at. It's going to throw this square out here. And that square is going to automatically adjust flight lines. It's going to adjust where it takes pictures. I don't have to set any of that. All going to be based on what altitude I'm flying, which is what this little thing's doing over here. And then all of that, the altitude that you fly and the area that you have is going to tell you how long that flight's going to be, right? So this flight, it's not a huge area, but that's about a four and a half minute flight at 200 feet. So that's pretty much it. You set that, set those parameters, hit start, and it's going to go up and it's going to fly that flight path. So we typically fly a grid pattern. And then as it's flying that grid pattern, it's going to take pictures at a, at a 
certain interval. So it's taking overlapping pictures. So a site like this, you might end up with you know, 100 to 200 pictures or some, something along those lines. So the end product is a full 3D model of that, that scene. So this is just a video fly through, but in reality, in the software, you can spin it, rotate it, measure, whatever you want to do with this model. This is just kind of giving you an idea of what it looks like. So that flight is literally four to six minutes. Processing, we do some processing in the cloud, so I'll actually start uploading it as soon as I'm done. By the time I get to the office, it's already been uploaded. If I'm more than an hour away from the office, it's already done by the time I get back. And it's a pretty amazing tool. So if you think in terms of, you know, at least what we're doing, accident investigations for fatalities, the quicker we can get in, preferably the day of the accident, and do this, we've preserved that accident scene forever. So if you think in terms of like a trenching accident that you were talking about earlier, if you're not there pretty quickly, that's filled up and cleaned up by the next day. I mean, there's nothing really to see at that point. You know, someone falls through a roof, I mean, they're going to go out there and fix that pretty quickly. So when you come, you know, three days later or a, month, a week later or a month later, there's, you know, there's really not anything to see. It's already gone. So the accident scenes expire quickly. This is our ability now to take that accident scene and bring it back to the office with us. Investigators can come through and, and measure any part of this. Uh, in our experience with what we're doing, it's within a few centimeters accurate. That's good enough for what we're doing. So a pretty great tool. I'll show you one other one I have here. Um, this is from a case we worked not too long ago. So this is just to kind of give you an idea. These models are not, you know, it's not just a flat earth and they're sticking buildings on there. It's a full terrain model. So as you kind of look at this little stream that's running through here, we kind of fly through there. You can see the terrain. And we were flying at about 150 feet above the ground. So even as we come up here, kind of turn, you can see where they were digging with the backhoe. So if I wanted to take measurements of the distance of that, we can do all that, all right? So for this one, I mean, this is in the cloud, so I just, I literally, all I need is an internet connection and Google Chrome, and I can pull up this model and, and, and see it. So it's, it's a pretty amazing tool for us. So sometimes just a picture is good though too. This was a case we worked where it was an Amish crew taking off the, um, the metal roof of this, uh, actually they're taking off all the metal, of this building. It was a tornado damaged building. You probably can't see right here, but he fell through right here. So here was kind of, we, you know, hovering about 10 feet off above the building and we're able to get some pretty good shots that, of, you know, what happened. This is pretty simplistic, you know, view of what that is, but... Uh, just to give you an idea, you know, before the drones, I don't think any of our investigators had the ability to hover. So the drone's a pretty good tool. So just a little bit about safety. And uh, this is just kind of a, a little bit of a primer, not all encompassing, of some of the things we like to think about as we go out and, and, and operate. First thing we did when we started, obviously, was we put together policy and procedures. I don't know if any of you have ever written policy and procedures, but it's, you know, it's super boring. To do. So, but it's a necessary thing. But it keeps our pilots understanding who can fly, who can authorize flights, and how do we operate. Here on the left, this left picture here, the red is just showing, um, this, this is that test site, that initial model I showed you. It's just showing where would we land or try to put the drone in an emergency, right? So if I'm flying the drone and it's making some sort of weird noise or, or uh, shaking or doing something not normal, and I need to put it down quickly. 
where am I going to do that? This is a 500 acre field here, so it's pretty easy. We're going to put it in the field somewhere. But think in terms of a, uh, a firefighting uh, setting where maybe you're in town, you know, you have a house on fire, you got your crew there uh, working on that. You probably have spectators watching, maybe traffic still coming through the roads or nearby, houses around. Now something happens with the drone and it makes a weird noise or something. Where are you going to put that thing quickly? You know, so those are the things that we want to think about before we ever take off. The middle one here is just showing a radio. We use an air radio so uh, that we can monitor air traffic if we're near an airport or monitor air-to-air -air helicopter traffic so we can kind of keep an eye on what's going on or keep an ear, I guess, on what's going on. And on the right we have, this is what they call a sterile cockpit, basically just throwing out some cones to create some space for where you're taking off and landing that drone. So, and hopefully keep people from, you know, walking through the cones. So sometimes that's successful. <laughs> and uh, we do standardized training. So our pilots, they have minimum flight hours, you know, total minimum flight hours for the different aircraft that we have. And we want them to understand all the components of the UAS or the drone. So there's a ton of different settings that can positively or negatively impact your flight. But at the same time, these things are super easy to fly, right? If you've ever flown a, a drone from like Walmart or something, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever flown one of those that your kids have, those things are hard to fly, right? Because you actually have to do all the stick inputs and corrections. So if you're not familiar with these, these work off GPS. So if this drone, once I get it in the air, I can take my hands off the controller and it's going to fight to hold that position, right? It's using GPS coordinates, X, Y, and Z. And even if it's super windy and the wind's blowing to it, it's just going to bank into it and try to hold that position, right? So super expensive drones are do that better. So this one in a windy day might be within a 10 foot or, you know, five, six, seven foot area that it's kind of bouncing around in real, you know, get to some of the more expensive ones. They're more precise and they can hold that position a little tighter. So if you don't have GPS assist, sometimes then, then you actually have to fly the thing. So that's why we teach them how to actually fly the UAS as well. A lot of our flights are automated like we showed, but we do manual flights as well. You have to understand how to actually work the thing beyond uh, the automation. Train our visual observers and, and obviously we do scenario training. Checklists, we utilize checklists, which is, you know, a pretty, pretty much a standard in aviation. Pretty simple, but I know you can't read any of this, but the top, top one is just things we do before we ever leave the office. And, you know, one, one of them is just, is it in airspace that we can even fly in right away? The middle is things we do as soon as we get on scene, you know, contacting site commander, checking the weather, that kind of thing. And then things we do with the drone right before we take off. So specifically with the drone. So we're looking to minimize you know, these simple things that we, you know, sometimes you start to take for granted that you know all the checks, but they're easy to miss. And sometimes you can miss those little things that introduce risk into your flight. Airspace-wise, if, you, if you're passing the Part 107, you should understand airspace. This is Columbus. This is Dayton. Where can you fly? So you should know that. Environment-wise, we're looking at uh, wind. You know, we want to make sure we understand how much wind can these units handle that we're comfortable with. Typically, we'd want to know that before we're out on the scene and have to make a judgment. So we try to test when it's windy. Rain, we're not really flying in the rain. The next step up from this big one you see there is weather resistant. I mean, I don't know that you'd fly it really in more than a drizzle, maybe. Fog is uh, pretty much a no-go. You really need three miles of visibility to be up there. 
And then on the right, we are always on the lookout for cell phone towers, big electric lines, and tall metal buildings. All those things can create some issues with your GPS signal, right? And then also your, uh, your signal between the controller and the drone. So just things that we're always trying to be aware of. If you are interested in getting a drone for business or even personal, just do a little bit of research on what's out there that's reliable, that's been around for a little while. There's lots of drone manufacturers that didn't exist a few months ago. This is actually a, a video from a GoPro drone from a couple years back, and it had an issue where it would drop out of the sky. Apparently not a feature. So this is another one video here. This one's probably 200 feet. This drone weighs about five, five pounds, and, uh, but from 200 feet, probably doesn't feel great. You got hit with it. So they had an issue where a uh, battery would back out of the drone itself, so total power loss, and GoPro no longer makes drones. So this is the moral of the story. Battery safety, if you have LiPo batteries, lithium polymer batteries in your house, just kind of understand where you store those. Uh, this is a battery over here that was not plugged in, not charged, just started making a popping noise. They will flame out if they go bad. It's not common, but it can happen. You can't stomp it out. They're going to try. This guy, I always got to point this guy out because he's, he's concerned, but not so concerned he's going to drop his sandwich. <laughs> Firefighting makes you hungry, you know? And just real quick here, we'll go through these pretty quick because we're almost to the end. Beyond, uh, future of UAS, beyond visual line of sight. So we talked about companies that want to do corridor mapping, railroads, pipelines, that kind of thing. And they want to do that in miles, not in feet. Right? They don't want to go 2,500 feet, land, catch back up, and do it again. They want to do that in a lot bigger sections. So those regulations are coming out soon to help them with the FAA. The technology that might get them there, one of them, is 4G, 5G LTE. So this is basically just your drone connecting to like a cell phone network, LTE, and your uh, controller connecting to it, and then now you can control it from anywhere. Flying cell tower, we got uh, AT&T and Verizon both do this. Natural disasters. They're basically taking a drone, here's your tethers for, for uh, power, continuous power. They're strapping a whole bunch of cell phone technology to it. And then now you have a cell phone tower, makeshift cell phone tower. So first responders can use it. People that need assistance can use it. Flight over people, that, one, that regulation's also coming. And streamlined airspace authorization, that is actually already here. So just a quicker way to get access to those bigger airports that are not Class G. And then the last thing is, you know, part of what we do at BWC, we actually use drones in our operations, but the other kind of silo of what we do is drone program assistance. So if you have a, a need to use drones in your business, feel free to contact me. I have business cards up front, but I'll come out and, and meet with you and talk to you about policy and procedures, vendors. I'll demo all the equipment. We can go do whatever. Go fly drones. One-on-one -on -one meeting with you, free of charge, doesn't cost anything. We're just looking to share our expertise and get Ohio employers that want to use drones up and running and doing it safely. Here's my info. I know we're about at the end. If you have questions, I'll be here for as long as I need to answer them. So thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.